Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, the Gigacity Company, a philanthropic community partner since 1922 and proud supporter of numerous community organizations. More information at smithville.com. And School of Public Health Bloomington, Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life publichealth.indiana.edu. From the Milton Metz studio in the radio TV building at Indiana University, welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host and WFIU, WTIU News Bureau Chief, Sarah Whitmire. And we're going to be talking today about Indiana's primary election, which is coming up on Tuesday. There are many interesting races to follow at both the national and the local level. And we're going to be uh, talking with th- uh, three guests here in the studio and a fourth guest by phone. William Ellis is the Monroe County Republican Party chairman. Mark Fraley is the Monroe County Democratic Party chairman. Les Linkowski is Professor Emeritus in Public Affairs and Philanthropy at the IU School of Public and Environmental Affairs here on the Bloomington campus. And Laura Merrifield Wilson, an Assistant Professor of Political Science at the University of Indianapolis, will be joining us by phone. You can give us a call at 812-855-0811 here in Bloomington or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area. You can also send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. And you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. So, hey, thanks, everybody. Thanks for being here. Les, you're back. And uh, William, you're back. Mark, welcome for the first time. All right. Thank and, you. And uh, Laura, do we have you by phone? I don't think she's nope, with us she's yet. Nope, she's not with us yet. So we'll, we'll get her uh, later in the program. So... Primary elections are sometimes kind of a snooze fest, but this one doesn't seem to be that that way. So, uh, William, why don't you talk about the Republican side first? Well, we decided to keep the local uh, primary field small so we could focus on the Senate one. That was all planned. Um, but, uh, yeah, our Senate race has been pretty exciting. I mean, it's got national attention. Uh, I've seen D.C. publications say that it is the nastiest in the country. Not sure that... Uh, I'm proud of that at all, but the one thing I'm confident with is no matter who makes it to the primary, Republicans will coalesce around the candidate. Mm-hmm. But it has been a very knockdown, dragout fight. And I think Mike Braun being the dark horse coming through kind of his momentum has peaked when it needs to to actually get him over the line. So I think that both Rakita and Messer have seen that. And they're responding accordingly. I know Luke Messer's going to be in Monroe County That's today. correct. It bubs at 3 o'clock. Yeah, right. Mark, what about the Democrats? Well, you know, I mean, I, obviously we're not focused too much on the Senate for this primary because uh, Joe Donnelly's going to be coming out of there. And I think that he's going to come out of there in a very strong position uh, going into November. And so we're really looking forward to be able to get behind him. Uh, but we do have a number of very, very interesting races, all the way from the congressional, uh, from the congressional race, which has uh, been very well fought out. Uh, We've got some excellent candidates that are running on that level, as well as uh, prosecutor, county commissioner, county council, and several different judgeships. And so uh, um, this is uh, democracy in action. We've got a lot of great people, and the voters have some really tough choices to make. Mm -hmm. And uh, Les Linkowski, from sort of taking a a broader view, um, the primary election in in Indiana and, uh, you know, primaries around the the country. I mean, let me just ask about our president. Because, you know, President Trump is in, in uh, and, you know, we can talk more about the Republican primary, but in the Senate race, all three of the candidates are really lining up with President Trump. So can you talk about that dynamic? Well, I think this is clearly going to be the 2016 election part two, as this will be perceived as a referendum on how well the president really is doing by a lot of measures. Today's unemployment number of 3.9 percent looks to be doing well, but there are also a lot of things that have made people very unhappy. And this will be particularly critical here in Indiana. A new poll's out showing that 41 percent of voters said they approved of the job Senator Donnelly is doing, but only 30 percent thought he deserved re-election. 43 percent of voters said that it's time for somebody new, though they didn't name exactly what new face they wanted to see. 
So this is clearly going to be a very uh, important uh, election at the Senate level uh, for who controls the Senate. And then if, in fact, there are going to be either impeachment efforts or just with regard to judge nominations, uh, bills, budget bills, and so on, the the margin in the Senate is going to be pretty important. And to no small degree, uh, the outcome in Indiana will determine that. Are you surprised that with the Republicans running for Senate that it sort of has been this contest to see who could align themselves the most closely with Trump? I'm not terribly surprised because Donald Trump won the state so handily. His vice president is from Indiana. So I think the natural assumption would be there's a sufficient number of um, Hoosier voters who think well of the president. We're going to find out both in terms of the primary and then ultimately the general election. William, as a, as a county party chair, do you have to steer clear of you know endorsing anybody in these races? Don't have to, but I, I, I choose to because I don't want any of the campaigns thinking that we're giving influence or information to ones that not the other. All three campaigns have worked well with the county apparatus. And I would say on the Trump question, I think a good reflection, if Mike Braun really overperforms, I think he is probably running a campaign more like Trump did in 2016. I think it would say that messaging and that Trump likeness would be, that would be a better referendum uh, with Braun because just the way he phrases things, the way he goes after his opponents, reminds me very much to what Trump did during the Republican primary in 2016. And Mark, how, how do you gauge those numbers that Les just just read? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I think that there's a lot of uh, important points to be able to break down here. I mean, number one, I mean, if a key part in these midterm elections is not just where overall popul- where overall approval ratings are, it's where the energy is. And right now, due in part to uh, um, Trump's performance, a lot of the energy is on the Democratic side. You're seeing a uh, Democrats who are winning in special elections in places where we have previously been uh, uncompetitive. Uh, and, you know, the reality of the situation is that I think that Joe Donnelly is going to be able to be be able to play to a strong sense of, uh, of, of of Hoosier values coming into this last election, especially after you're taking a look at the ways in which the prim- Republican primary candidates are talking to each other. One of the things that we know about Joe Donnelly, he's a very humble guy. He's a very nice guy. He's a person that I think can relate to a lot of the voters. He does a great job in the Senate. And I think that this is ultimately going to show through at the end of the day, and he is going to uh, be successful. What do you think are the real... How can you really distinguish the Republican Senate candidates from one another? Because, I mean, honestly, when I see them just standing up together, they that profile is very similar. It seems like they are they agree on a lot of policy questions. Um, William, did... well, I think that with Luke Messer and Todd Rakita, Todd Rakita, you have a lot more state roots. Um, being Secretary of State, he's made some impact there. And I think he's probably better known. And come, before going into this, he was better known to that. He has a track record in Indiana. Luke Messer being in leadership in, in Washington, I think, has some track record there. So it, it's kind of like pick your flavor. And then with Mike Braun, he's an underdog, former Democrat, businessman. So you have kind of all, if you want the establishment, if you want someone with home uh Roots in Indiana strongly, you know, that'd be Rakita, more the establishment, and I don't use that as pejorative, just as a descriptor, you know, more of Messer, and then Braun the outsider. Um, and so I think that that you almost have to look at it more in differentiations and style and kind of background than more of, well, my policy points are X, Y, and Z, because most of them are pretty similar. Yeah, and we're living in an, in an era now where issues don't matter as much as they used to. We saw this in the presidential election in 2016. You could see it every day in Washington. What candidates feel they need to do is identify themselves as people who speak for their voters, whoever they think their voters are. It could be people, you know, on the more conservative end, the more liberal or progressive end, but it's that sense of sincerity or authenticity that's important much more than issues. And I think that's why uh, uh, Mike Braun, for example, goes so hard on his business credentials uh, because he's trying to suggest that he's like a lot of other people who have built businesses. 
William mentioned earlier just this being dubbed one of the nastiest races in the country. I'm just curious, Les, if you think going into the general election, then is that going to hurt whoever the GOP nominee is who goes against Donnelly or will voters have kind of forgotten about the primary ballot? Yeah, I, I think by and large they will have forgotten. Maybe not forgotten. It's too strong. But it's not going to be as big a factor by the time we move forward into November. Primaries way in the background. There'll be some set of you know effort to unity. Uh, unity. Uh, the candidates themselves will probably start switching their messages, the Republican candidate, to try and, and become a little more acceptable, a little, you might say, nicer. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we've, been, we've heard about how we're in a, pro, a post-truth era, and I'm, we might want to talk about that later on. But I want to ask, I guess I want to ask about, are we in a post Compromise era, a post cooperation era. I mean, I, I heard, I heard. Um, well, I don't know. I've heard a lot of things about about people who I, I think I think it was Donnelly that what, that he's been criticized on in this campaign by people saying um, the, his opponents saying that he's been um, he's voted with the Democratic leadership eighty five percent of the time. Well. You know, I think I would say most people are voting with their leadership 100 percent of the time right. these days. So, but that was like a pejorative. You know, the 85 percent, even though most people are 100 percent, are you know, are, are people voting their their mind, or are they just voting their their uh, party these days? I mean, can we talk about that a little bit? Well, I think you know yeah. one thing that I was following closely: Senator Donnelly actually voted to confirm. Mike Pompeo as Secretary of State. He's only, I think it was only seven Democrats that uh, walked across the aisle to make that vote. So I think we are, I mean, at the level of leaders, the potential for compromises there. And we have seen compromises, even when the votes look divided by party lines. There are a lot of things going on in the background where people are making agreements that may not be as public. They may vote one way, but they're, rather than try and stall things, they're still supporting it. There's also lots of areas where the, the parties uh, and the representatives are at loggerheads, and it is a real problem uh, that we're facing. Uh, we need some better leadership to overcome it, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that not only do we need <clears throat> a better leadership, but I think that just we also need a better understanding of our role as citizens sometimes because, you know, I think that there are a lot of different incentives out there in order to be able to make politics work as messy as possible. You know, and I think that, you know, you can t point to the 24-hour news circle. You can point to the presence of a lot of Internet sites and the flourishing of fake news and the way that people are communicating themselves in a digitally mediated environment seems to play much more towards uh, satisfying that sense of purity rather than moving towards um, practical political objectives. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I actually believe that what you're hearing is kind of the radicalization of the, the further left and the further right. Example in the gun debate, I mean, you have people on the right it, with the assumption that everyone that talks about some form of gun, gun control wants to take away their Second Amendment right. Then you have people on the left that thinks everybody that is pro-Second Amendment uh, are murderers and have blood on their hands. Well, those two groups, it's going to be very difficult for them to ever talk to each other because of that. But what we find is most people don't take those positions. They're just not loud about it. You're hearing from the media and on Facebook, especially with memes, those two sides all the time. But when you get there and actually talk to the actual people, most people say, I wish both sides could kind of come together and come up with some solution. And they may not use the word compromise because it's almost become, uh, you know, that four-letter word in a sense because they feel that compromise means that you're giving away your position. And I do think that people have more red lines, though, that even if – if Joe Donnelly is an example, uh, you know, they're seeing, well, there a lot of people in Indiana portraying the tax cut as a red line. And no matter what he votes for with the Republicans or Trump and everything else, they're going to go back to that one. Um, some people have abortion. Some people have gun control as red lines. But I think we're seeing more and more of that, too, even in those moderate voters. And, you know, all these are rel relative as well. If you really want to see conflict, come to an IU faculty meeting. <laughs> <laughs> let me give our phone numbers. If you want to talk politics with us today on Noon Edition, 
give us a call at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us questions for the show at news at indianapublicmedia.org. Well, you mentioned the gun debate. So last week we had a show with some high schoolers who were talking about about guns and schools and how they almost seemed shocked when I told them young voters we talked to couldn't say who was on the ballot. Um, so I, I'm just curious now that you all are sitting here, Les, maybe you can respond. What is the likelihood that the all, all of the debate we've heard about guns lately is really going to translate to, to voter turnout and how people vote? Oh, I don't think it'll, it'll affect uh, turnout very much for the reason you said. People have a lot of other issues. The one thing we know is pocketbook issues always drive elections. There will be some percentage of people be motivated by the gun issue or any other particular issue. But by and large, um, uh, voters uh, are going to be motivated by what's in their pocketbook. With regard to young people, we do face this terrible problem of low turnout. I mean, it's not going to be a factor here in the primary because IU and other uh, schools in this area uh, are either in finals or they're, they're headed home. But we'll see in November whether young people, the so-called millennial generation, are in fact going to be turning out uh, uh, to vote for whatever issue really motivates them. I think one of the consequences of this kind of nastiness we see in our primary and elsewhere is uh, it disguises the fact that certainly in Indiana, all of the four candidates, the three Republicans and Senator Donnelly, are all reasonable people. They are accomplished people. They're fairly professional in what they do. But because of the nature of the way we campaign these days, uh, they look a bit clownish at best. Do you think this it will be a bigger issue in the general election in, in, in Indiana when we have Donnelly against whoever gets the GOP nomination? The, no, the issue of guns. I no, I think in the general oh, on guns. Yeah, um, I just wonder if, if then there will be any sort of debate between the GOP nominee and Donnelly about guns. I think it would be relatively small, but yep. the wild card there, unfortunately, is we can't predict when another terrible incident is going to occur. Mm-hmm. And if one does occur within the window close to the election, you'll see the gun issue raising its head in importance again. So I want to go to William Ellis, Republican County Chairman from Monroe County, Republican County Chairman, and Mark Fraley, Monroe County Democratic Party Chairman. And I reframe that question that Sarah just Mm -hmm. asked. Are you talking to a lot of young people today? You know, we know, like we had the we had three young people, and we were supposed to have four. One was um, would I think identify as a Republican. Uh, he was in a traffic accident on the way oh, over, no. so yeah. he didn't get hurt or anything. But it but good? it was just he couldn't be on the show with us. Um, but they were all very interested in you know in talking and very active. Are you seeing more activism now on? You know, for, from your perspective. Absolutely. Um, I think that it's been one of the things that's been the most inspiring about working in this last campaign is, look, in the last couple of campaigns, we've seen a lot of involvement from a lot of college students. And we've always been grateful for the work that uh, college students do here on campus to register voters in order to be able to mobilize a lot of their classmates in order to go to the polls. Um, but now we're actually seeing a high level of participation among um, high school students as well. Uh, you're seeing this in the gun issue. Of course, we had a contingent of people that were going to Washington. Washington, D.C. to uh, participate in the rallies over there. But we also uh, have a really active group of uh, high school Democrats at uh, Bloomington High School South. Uh, In fact, we've got a primary candidate website right now in which people can research every single candidate who's uh, running in the Democratic primary that was put together by these high school students. Uh, They are inspired, they are engaged, and uh, they are caring about their politics in ways that uh, should make the older generation jealous. Mm -hmm. William? I, I do think there is a groundswell of enthusiasm, even among Republicans and younger ones, because I have, for the first time, had uh, 15, 16, 17-year-olds reach out to me, and they really felt that they – and a lot of the topic that when they reached out, they felt they could not get their voices heard in school. And an example of this was May 2nd, we had a walkout for pro-Second Amendment. No emails came out from North and South referencing that at all when we got six or seven of the other one. There was very little media attention. So those students really feel like their issues are marginalized and ones are promoted. So they're afraid to bring those up in school. Have one that would love 
to have done a, a Young Republicans Club. But he says, you know, the, the perception for him, right or wrong, is that he'll be deemed a racist. He'll be deemed X, Y, and Z. And that there's a fear. And so they're tying into the party, but they're also worried about the negative peer pressure and even some from their teachers. And part of that, I understand, is just perception. But with this student walkout, I do say that uh, the second one, I do see some data now that, yeah, you're right, the school did promote one and and was silent on the other. We're going to take a, a break, and hopefully we'll get some uh, listeners to call in after the break. But I know I want to go to the talk about the Ninth District race. We have races in both the Republican and Democratic uh, parties in the Ninth District. We're talking about politics today in the upcoming primary with William Ellis, Monroe County Republican Party chairman, Mark Fraley, the Monroe County Democratic Party chairman, and Leslie Linkowski, a professor emeritus in public affairs and philanthropy, the IU School of Public and Environmental Affairs. I'm Bob Zaltzberg with Sarah Whitmire. We'll be right back. the Milton Metz studio at IU's Radio TV building, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Fiber, online at smithville.com, and IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state throughout the day at WFIUNews.org and on Twitter at WFIU News. You can watch unfiltered video of breaking stories on Facebook Live. And you can get a digest of all the day's top stories delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of the headlines, plus the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't find anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, along with co-host WFIU, WTIU News Bureau Chief, Sarah Whitmire, and we're talking about the upcoming primary, uh, which is Tuesday, May the 8th. And uh, we have guests in the studio with us, William Ellis, Monroe County Republican Party Chairman, Mark Fraley, Monroe County Democratic Party Chairman, and Les Linkowski, Professor Emeritus in Public Affairs and Philanthropy, TIU School of Public and Environmental Affairs. If you want to call us, pick up the phone, dial 812-855-0811 here in Bloomington or toll-free 1-877-285-9348. You can also send us uh, questions for the show, news at indianapublicmedia.org. The ninth District Race. So we have uh, the incumbent is Trey Hollingsworth. Um, he's a Republican. William, he's facing a challenger. Yeah, the challenger is pretty much an unknown. And... Uh what I've known about him, and I, there's probably breaking some party rules here, but I, I think he's absolutely nuts. I'll say <laughs> because honestly, there comes a point in time when people say things that are just so off the reservations. I think as in party leadership, we have a job to be able to call that out, uh-huh. and I'll take that stand. And I, I don't know how if someone like from what I've heard. And I've heard from multiple sources just some of the things he said that just conspiracy theory outrageous. I have had no personal interaction with him. Uh, so, but the people that I've heard this from, multiple sources confirmed, you know, you get three or four emails from different people that you know and trust and a couple people that you don't know, and they all match the same things. You kind of have to draw. So, so you're, so you're, uh, you are supporting Trey Hollingsworth. Very much so. Okay. A hundred and, hundred percent, you know, they say more than a hundred percent. But, you know, going to do it 100. But, yeah, Trey has been, I think, has done a great job. He has set out to do – he's done what he promised to do when he ran. He – at our Lincoln Day last – or this year, he had his card from his very first uh, run. And all those points, he's proposed bills or signed on to bills to do. He's one of 535 people, so unfortunately, now, you know, they didn't get done. 
but he has tried to move the ball forward. He's met with local constituents here. We have a gentleman that was really involved in the healthcare industry and had a, a plan that's both market and kind of government involved to cover 100% of people with healthcare. He listened to that, and he's actually working his way, getting support. It's very controversial, but it's a conservative spin on what we need to do. And Mark, you have uh, three candidates. Uh, yeah. Two have been very, very active. Um, maybe all three, but yeah. two have been seem to have a lot of uh, name recognition, more name recognition, probably than third. Uh, yeah, I mean that's probably accurate. There are two that are um, better organized and and and, and better financed. Um, you know, and I think that one, this is one of those things that's really inspiring to see coming into this race. We've got candidates uh, Dan Cannon, uh, based out of Floyd County; Liz Watson, based here out of Monroe County. Both of them are generating high levels of enthusiasm. Numbers of volunteers. You see them all throughout campus, and people are really excited, and they're going to put this uh, uh, energy in order to be able to uh, swing the ninth district back to a Democratic uh, hands in November. Well, I have to ask, how much does redistricting have to do with who wins that race in in November? Uh, well, you know, redistricting has not made things easier for us. You know, uh, the Republicans have been very uh, crafty at uh, drawing the districts in order to be able to give themselves a political advantage. This is a, a district that had previously been right down uh, smack in the middle, you know, 50-50 district. Um, the, you know, the, uh, the Republican Party clearly did not like having to be able to compete in general elections and so uh, um, have, have recarved the district in order to be able to give themselves a generous advantage the same way that they had in the state legislature. Uh, but you know what? We've got uh, energy. We've got a lot of uh, people who are fired up. And so despite the fact that the map does not work in our favor, we think the enthusiasm will. Can you give it a... Let's go ahead. Yeah, but that raises another interesting point. It's easy to talk about the federal races, and they are important, but we've got a bunch of state races going on, too. We're going to be electing the state legislature that will take... Um, uh, office in 2019 and the preparations for the next round of redistricting are going to be underway. There have been numerous reports that the Democratic Party has tried to do uh, more work at the state legislature le level. The Republicans, of course, were very successful at that over the past decade or so. So we'll have to see. We may, I mean, we may find the Democrats playing the same kind of strategy for a longer term as the Republicans have played. Mm -hmm. well, I do want to comment on the, the maps. If you look at the maps currently for the uh, nine districts in Indiana compared to 2011, the Democrats drew at the, at the turn of the, I guess, turn of the century, we can say, you can see those maps look a lot clearer. I mean, if you look at Todd Rakita's district, the fourth, the fourth, I mean, talk about gerrymandered. Maybe the ninth did change a little, but overall, I think the maps moved in a, a good more equitable way. I, I do remember that 4th District was one of the strangest districts yeah. because um, people in the 4th District who lived in Monroe County were voting for a representative who also represented Lafayette, right. represented Lafayette rather than Bloomington. So <laughs> we, kind of, we, we may also have a Supreme Court decision uh, before the end of that June. Uh, that'll address the question of redistricting. I want to talk more about the legislative races, but I do want to, to go back to Mark and ask, and you know, you may be comfortable or not comfortable doing this, but can you sort of outline differences between the candidates? Uh, yeah, no, I, sure. I mean, I think that, look, I mean, they're both excellent candidates, and I think that in all three of them, uh, I, I should say, I've, I, I have a great deal of affection for. Uh, you know, Liz Watson is uh, somebody who has uh, been really engaged on high-level policy for a, for a number of years. And so she's worked on uh, low-income policy, on labor policy. And so she has got a really, really strong grasp of addressing people's concerns uh, through uh, drafting policy. And she's done so very successfully. Dan Cannon, you know, is, uh, you know, he is a civil rights attorney and he has worked very hard on a lot of issues, including uh, marriage equality, which he's had a lot of successes on. I think that one of, uh, you know, the, you, you know, I think that one of the differences uh, that, you know, you can really see is from where a lot of these folks are getting their energy. Um, you know, Liz Watson has been able to really mobilize uh, women and a lot of uh, different uh, Democratic constituency organizations, whereas in, in unions, uh, labor groups as well, whereas Dan Cannon, he's had a 
strong base among the students and a lot of young folks and you can see that and they've got a very sophisticated field program and so I think that you know you can see a lot of interest and uh, you can see a lot of differences in terms of where they're gaining some of their core support uh, however I do believe that either from getting into Congress you know they're going to have uh, voting records that are going to be remarkably similar and both of them I think would uh, uh, represent us far better than uh, Joseph Albert Hollingsworth III. Uh, how daunting will it be for whoever gets the nomination to go up against Trey Hollingsworth, who, you know, the last, the last when he won election, had a very well-funded campaign, and I assume will be much of the same. Well, the same poll I cited earlier about the Senate candidates also asked respondents about House candidates. They didn't break it out by district. And a uh, majority, more people uh, f- said they were ready for someone new versus said that they wanted to see their current representative reelected. So I think all incumbents, uh, uh, certainly on the Republican side, and I think possibly on the Democratic side as well, are going to be facing headwinds in this election. There remains the same kind of unhappiness among large section of the voters with what's been going on in Washington. And as an incumbent, you're part of the problem, not part of the solution. Yeah, and look, we're under no delusions. We don't believe that we're going to have an easy time going into November. You know, and partly the map does not that does not favor us. And we know that uh, Mr. Holling, Representative Hollingsworth is going to be well financed. Uh, but so we know that we're going to have to work really, really hard behind our nominee. And uh, I believe with that proper amount of energy, we're going to be able to get there. I can say that uh, the Hollingsworth campaign and, and locally, we're not and under any delusions that this is just going to be a cakewalk. Uh, we felt the same way in 2016, uh, and we will pull all our efforts to, to get the vote out for Representative Hollingsworth. And really, every one of these elections for Congress is a, rep, is a, re, uh, is a referendum on what the job they're doing. And there's always this attitude to throw the bums out, so to speak, but it very seldom materializes. So will this be the year? I don't know. And then what margin is that going to do that? Because everybody, I mean, Congress has one of the lowest approval ratings ever. Was it 11% or something like that? But statistically, most incumbents are reelected. So you've got to wonder how that, they don't like Congress, but their congressman's fine. It always seems to be the general attitude. Will that come into play here? It probably will be, but we cannot take that for granted. If you want to join us on the program today, give us a call, 812-855-0811 or toll free at 1-877-285-9348. You can send us questions for the show, news at indianapublicmedia.org, and you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. I want to talk a little bit about the 4th and the 6th District because both of those on the GOP side are, you know, Rokita is running for Senate, Messer running for Senate. So in the 6th District, really interesting, Mike Pence's brother is is running, but really is, I mean, at least in our newsroom, I don't know if it's the case in yours, but it's kind of remained a mystery and has sort of avoided the press at all costs. Um, so, Les, maybe you can, can you can you talk a little bit about both of those districts and those races? A little is the, the correct word. <laughs> um, I, well, I just speak about the sixth district where, you know, name recognition counts for a great deal in primaries like this. Obviously, having a last name, Pence, is going to stand uh, him in very good stead. Um, whether it'll be, I think it'll probably be enough to win the primary, whether it'll be enough to win a general election, that we'll have to okay. see. In the, on the Republican side, in the fourth, strangely enough, now you have Braun that might get some name recognition right. because Steve Braun is the one, only candidate I could name in that <laughs> entire election. we got Diego Morales and... Uh, Jim Baird. Then there are a couple others, too. But That's correct. it's funny. Braun and Morales also both linked to Pence. Right. But and also the name point is very is actually very important. Lots of people uh, who voted for Eugene McCarthy in the Democratic presidential primary in 1968, we know, thought they were voting for Joe McCarthy. <laughs> is that true? Yeah. I mean, there were studies done. <laughs> okay. But Mark, I, I will say, oh, oh, sorry, on the fourth, one thing I do want to say on the Republican side, it is, I don't know if you've seen the newest mailers has gone out from some PAC. They've gotten very nasty. And we talk about the nasty Senate race. That's, I'm, I'm glad we're not in the fourth because there's some that 
Uh, I mean, attacking Diego Morales, showing a map, implying that he doesn't belong here. Uh, that that stuff has no business in it. And then the newest one uh, with Jim Baird, you know, saying gas prices are going to cost you an arm and a leg when he's a veteran that lost an arm and having this picture on there. And I think that whoever is behind that pack is very low taste. And I just hope Republicans reject that and any candidate that does not disavow that. What about the Democrats in those two districts? Mark? Yeah, I mean, you know, we've got um, a, you know, we know that, you know, both the fourth and the sixth are going to be um, very, very uh, tough races, and they historically have uh, for you know for for the Democrats. I mean, obviously, uh, we're going to be prepared to do whatever we can. Okay, all right. So let's talk about the legislature again. So are there are there any key primary races on either side of the ballot in the legislature? We've got a number, you know, in Monroe County that we're going to be very, very focused on, you know, so um, obviously in the 61st, we have uh, Matt Pierce, who's been a reliable Democrat over years, over the years, um, but also in the 60th and the 62nd, uh, we've got Penny Givens, uh, who is running over in the 60th district, and she's, you know, got a lot of energy and she's able to inspire a lot of folks. And so we're really uh, interested in getting behind her campaign going into uh, the November elections, and also on uh, the in, in the 60th, uh, Amy Swain is uh, making a uh, bid for that state representative seat, and um, and so we're uh, deeply looking forward to supporting her in November as well. So Penny Givens is in the race; she would be running against Peggy Mayfield, correct? That's correct. And then Amy Swain would be running against Jeff Ellington. That's correct. Okay, just wanted to clarify that. All right, we have a phone call. Let's go to uh, Ivan from Bloomington on the phone. Ivan. Am I in there? Yes, you are. Yeah, hi. Um, I just wanted to make one comment. Um, I'm a Democrat, so you know I don't support Trey Hongsworth, but one thing that's really surprised me about him is that he seems to have absolutely no interest in reaching out to Democrats whatsoever. Um, he hasn't appeared to any of the um, forums <clears throat> that were arranged in the Bloomington area. Um, and the thing that really shocked me was he sent out a, um, a sort of poll asking people to say what issues mattered most to them. And it was, <clears throat> it was basically like a, a right-wing wish list. It was things like uh, defeat Obamacare, um, protect gun rights, and so on. Um, and it was just, you know, he was sort of openly saying, um, I'm only interested in Republican, uh, you know, aims, which I thought was surprising. I mean, usually there's at least a little bit of a gesture towards reaching to the other side. <clears throat> Um, and I guess sort of on a slightly similar note, um, in terms of the comment about the, the student who felt he wasn't encouraged to do a Second Amendment um, celebration, uh, that seemed very odd to me. I mean, it's right after this massacre of kids. Um, the Second Amendment is the law of the land. It seems weird that uh, he would expect a school to encourage a big pro-gun rally at that moment. Uh, it's not really symmetrical in that way. Um, so anyway, I'll take uh, your response off the air. All right. Thank you, much. Thank, thank you for your call. Les? Um, I don't know about how much Trey Hollingsworth reaches out to Democrats, but I do know that one night I was sitting at home at 7.30 or so and my phone rang and it was Trey Hollingsworth. And he was responding to an email my wife had sent him actually criticizing a vote, he, his vote on the omnibus budget bill. So I was kind of impressed that at 7.30 at night, a congressman was making calls. Um, you know, I have no idea how he selected which people to call, but he certainly is, is active at this, and I gather that he does this regularly. Mm -hmm. William, do you want to respond? Yeah, what I've noticed about Trey, he does not usually do things in large gatherings. Um, he has been at the Chamber of Commerce. He's been at the, both Ellettsville and, I believe, Bloomington. He's done a Farm Bureau thing that none of them have been closed to the, the public. Um, the Farm Bureau thing was at a um, – uh, gosh, can't, the name escapes me, but uh, one of the restaurants in Ellettsville. So, I mean, it was – anybody could have shown up and asked questions. But I, I think Trey likes to have more one-on-one -on -one discussion because you get more accomplished that way. And I understand people feel their voices aren't being heard, but they are. He is – Got to remember, he's representing the entire ninth district, and so 
with that in mind, I mean, it's, it is going to tend more to the right side of things in, in his questions and messaging because of that. Mark? Well, I mean, I think that he does uh, tend to show up more toward, towards Republican-friendly events. Uh, and, you know, if he's making phone calls to Democrats, I don't know, he might have misplaced my phone number, for example. <laughs> but um, I will uh, you know, say that, I mean, look, when it comes down to uh, Trey Hollingsworth, we have a sense of who he is now. We didn't know who he was uh, a couple of years ago. He just moved to the moved to the states. So we were just learning about him. Um, but now we get a little bit of a sense about who he is. And, you know, he is a person who be able to who voted to strip health care access for uh, millions of struggling Hoosiers. He uh, voted for uh, Trump's uh, uh, Trump's uh, tax bill, which basically took uh, uh, which took about one point five trillion dollars out of our children's future in order to be able to support uh, wealthy donors to the Republicans campaign. I think that this is I think that this is one of those things that we've seen about who Trey Hollingsworth is. I don't think that we're going to expect much different other than a rubber stamp for uh, Donald Trump. And I think that's exactly why we need Democratic representation in the ninth. Well, I I appreciate the talking points, but you know, there's, <laughs> you know, one of the things with the tax bill is that I find with rank and file people, even some Democrats and independents, they're getting more money in their pocket every uh, every week or every two weeks. I mean, I think that uh, it was fifty dollars for an, anybody that's fifty thousand dollars a year uh, filing single, they're getting about fifty dollars more a week per average. We can't even. Uh, marginalize somebody getting five to ten dollars a week because that money goes back into the economy and is spent on things so it doesn't just disappear in a vacuum and any more money that we have to spend for ourselves is actually more money back in the economy and i think people recognize that's a good vote from trey and you know i, I think that he's very, doing very well in representing the ninth district values and i don't believe that there's this groundswell among your average voter to throw Trey out. I really don't. And I think they're very happy with what he's done. And, you know, the tax cuts are pretty popular. Uh, Trump hit 51% approval with Rasmussen today. And even if you take that as an outlier, the trend for all the polls have been going up, especially with a lot of, I mean, there's been a lot of stuff negative <laughs> that's happened to Trump, legitimately negative. I'm not saying the fake news or anything like that. And to have his popularity go up with all this is really amazing. Again, it's the importance of the pocketbook issues. With unemployment down to 3.9% this morning, that's the lowest level it has been in the 21st century. It's quite amazing when you think about it. Now, I don't believe that the President of the United States solely deserves credit for that, nor does Congress, but they certainly will get some political benefit from that. Uh, especially if it persists or even goes down further. Uh, we also want to look at how certain groups have done, whether they're in states and different sectors of the economy or different racial and ethnic groups. But the signs are very positive right now on the economy, and that's a pretty good predictor uh, of how uh, the president's party will do in a November election. I, I do, if you if you don't mind, William, just responding to Ivan's comment about the Second Amendment and yeah, I I have to respectfully disagree. I think that any time I don't see why there should be an issue with celebrating one of our constitutional amendments, be it first, second, third, any of them, and considering the the student march was so divisive and had chants with hey hey Trey Trey how many kids have you killed today and hey hey NRA how many kids have you killed today that in response to that, I don't see how anybody could think that just saying our Second Amendment should be protected would not be equal, because this was more than just a, uh, a, a memorial. If it were just a memorial for the students killed, I could understand, but it wasn't. It was a political rally, and anybody thinking it was different is their heads are in the sand. I want to ask Mark uh, mm -hmm. Fraley to talk a little bit about some of our local races, just yeah. because, you know, these are... It's, it's odd to have three judgeships available, yeah. and there are, you know, three or there are three different judges that are, are going to be going off the bench retiring, mm -hmm. and there are races for each of those judgeships. And then one of, one of the people running is a prosecutor, so that opens up the prosecutor's job. And then the one that, one that really interests me is the um, county commissioner's race, where you yeah. have a sitting council member running against a sitting commissioner. Yeah. So. 
yeah, well, I mean, I guess I'll start off with uh, the judge races. I'll do this in, in, in that order. And so, you know, if we want to take a look at um, the, we've got people running in each of these districts who are outstanding people. And I think they would all make outstanding judges. And thankfully, they've all played very well together out on the campaign trail. I see them uh, regularly all of the time. They're very respectful and courteous towards one another. Uh, we are part of a Democratic family, and I am, and, and uh, whoever doesn't make it out of that is still going to have a home in the Democratic Party and a chance to run again in the future. And so I, I wish them all the best of luck in this. Uh, in the prosecutor's race, uh, you know, we have three outstanding individuals who are running uh, in that in, in that race. Uh, Erica Oliphant, who's currently a deputy prosecutor. We also have Margie Rice, who's a county attorney, and Matt Schultz, uh, who is an attorney in town. And uh, all of them bring such a, a diverse set of skills to this office. And so that's another really tough uh, vote for the uh, for, for, for Democrats. And uh, finally, there is the, the commissioner's race and a county council race, actually, that um, that are both contested, and with the commissioner's race, since you uh, you know brought that one up, yeah, we have uh, you know Lee Jones, who is an at-large county councilwoman, is and uh, Patrick Stofers, who is a, a commissioner. These are people who have uh, actually a lot of different perspectives when it comes to governance, uh, and they both have a lot of really really good ideas. And I look forward to um, you know con- uh, continuing to have a strong Democrat in that position. Mm-hmm. You do have one county council race, so you we do, yeah, Jamie Watson. Yeah, we've got Kate. Wilt and uh, uh, Jamie Wachelle, uh, who are each, uh, you know, we had uh, one county council member, Ryan Cobine, uh, who had uh, retired from that position. And so we've got, uh, you know, two uh, two newcomers, but uh, two newcomers with experience. You know, we've got uh, Kate Wilts has been uh, involved in uh, local politics for a while. She is part of the Environmental Commission and does uh, a lot of uh, good work with a lot of our uh, uh, over there. We also have Jamie Wachelle, uh, who is, uh, you know, a firefighter and uh, in, in, and works with the city uh, also would uh, be really fantastic. And so that's another uh, difficult choice. And for the voters out there who are trying to be able to decide, because yes, I am remaining neutral on all of these, and so I'm not going to be able to give any suggestions. <laughs> However, if you go to MonroeDems.org, we have got uh, a website where we actually have every single piece of uh, public information that's written about people, including letters to the editor, press releases, videos, forums, and everything. And so, uh, you know, people will have an opportunity to do their research and go vote. Thank you for the letters to the editor. We have many, many, many of them. Many, many more yes. still to run. We've got them through Monday. So we have a lot of them. William, uh, what about... Um, your ballot in you know in the fall election. What do you see for the Republican Party? Well, you know, for the judicial uh, seats and prosecutor, I feel that the temperament for those is so high that unless someone really makes themselves known that they're interested in it, I would much rather not have someone that would be marginal get on the ballot and who knows maybe win, because then the county is saddled with somebody that really isn't up to the job. So I want to make sure we recruit the best and brightest. We're working on that. There's a gentleman that I've been meeting with for, uh, it's going to really depend on who wins on the Democratic side, whether he jumps in or not. But I'm excited about that because I do want to make sure that, especially with the caucus, we do have some control to be able to vet our candidates. And I want to make sure that we do have ones that are not just there to represent the Republican Party. When I actually talked to candidates, I said, your first thing you have to decide, is your candidacy good for Monroe County? If you really can't honestly say yes, I don't want you running for any position. And most people say, you know, oh, I want a job, I want to be known, I want to go up in politics. To me, that doesn't cut it. Uh, and in the caucus, we have a little more control over that. In the you know, pre-primary, anybody really file as long as they voted Republican in the primary and Democrat. But... You know, so we have with the other races, uh, kind of the same thing. I do not want, you know, we've we've hit on the corruption, you know, the last couple of years. I don't want to put someone in there. I'm not confident is not going to be the straight shooter on the Republican side. And I really think when it comes to being a public servant, you really need to have that humility and come forward and say, I think it's time for me to serve, instead of saying, Hey, I want to. I want to be, you know, recorder because it pays $50,000 a year. Well, that's great. So do a lot of other jobs. But township-wise, we've been doing really well with recruiting. And I think uh, that's where you're going to see a lot of our excitement 
Uh, and then we have Larry Barker, former Democrat that has come over running for commissioner against either Lee Jones or Pat Stofers, everyone's there. Um, Ann Boehm and Ann Collins are both running in respective districts uh, for county council, Boehm in one and Ann Collins in two. And so, you know, we're, it's, we've got some races that I think we can, with Jacob Franklin, who's got pretty good name ID running for clerk. So I'm excited about who we have. And, you know, if more come forward, I, I really would love you to come forward, but understand the bar is pretty high because we want to be a competitive party, but we also want to be the party of leadership and the party that shows that we can, we're just not throwing people up there just to say we have a full ballot because I do not believe in that at all. Okay. We have just about a minute and a half to go. Less. What should people be looking for in uh, this primary next Tuesday? What are some of the things that you're going to be interested in? Well, um, I think the real uh, – what people – it's not so much what they should be looking for, but what they should do. We've all heard how nasty things are. But still, it's really critical for voters, particularly on the Republican side, where there will be a lot of action on the Senate race, to go out to vote. None of the above is not an option. You really need to vote for one, pick the one you think will be the best candidate, uh, and then we will have another election in November, and ideally we'll have two very good candidates going against each other. Democracy works this way. I'm impressed, very impressed by my colleagues here, not only with all the people running for office, but how well as party chairs they know who they are and have been involved with them. This is democracy at its best, and it only works if voters come out on primary day and then later on election day. All right. We are out of time. I want to thank our guests today, uh, William Ellis, Mark Fraley, and Les Linkowski. For producer Angelo Batista, engineer Mike Pashkash, and my co-host Sarah Whitmire, I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from School of Public Health Bloomington. Public Health Reimagined, addressing 21st century health challenges with a multidisciplinary approach to disease prevention, health promotion, and enhancing quality of life. Publichealth.indiana.edu. And Smithville Fiber, the Gigacity Company. Fiber Internet, HD, and digital IPTV in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com.